worried. <laughs> the reading I'd like to share with you this morning, and I, I know there's a mistake in the order of service. I, I take full responsibility for that. The reading I'd like to share comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, just like me, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Early one morning, here as I look across the water Early one morning, here as I look across the water Dust, old memories, you can hear me shout. Dust, old memories, you can hear me shout. I won't roll away the stone. Two steps under, come on, be my eyes. Lead me where I want to go. Two steps under, come on, be my eyes. I want to go. Teach me, Lord, that righteous way. Teach me, Lord, that righteous way. I won't roll away stone. See that gate down yonder road. Which one will I follow? See that gate down yonder road, which one will I follow? I lose my shackles here. I lose my shackles here. I won't roll away the stone. Tell me why. Why my brother's gonna fall down? Tell me why my brother's gonna fall down? Why my 
Dear ones, I need to begin this morning by saying the name of Stefan Clark. I need to talk about how law enforcement officers fired multiple times into his back. and waited for him to die in his grandmother's backyard. I need to say out loud in a community of beloved people that according to the autopsy commissioned by Stefan Clark's family, there was time for him to receive medical care, but none was called. I'm going to ask you in this moment, regardless of where you locate yourself on the wide spectrum of political beliefs, I'm going to ask you to take a deep breath with me in this moment and imagine how hard it is or might have been to tend to the body of beloved grandson was holding a cell phone, not a weapon. And I also want you to imagine how hard it must be to take another life, knowing that the taking of that life was not justified. I need to share with you this morning that on Wednesday afternoon, a group of black students from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School gathered to speak with reporters. As far as I can tell, this was not covered in any mainstream media. You can correct me if I'm 
but they gathered to talk with reporters because they wanted to please in addition to supporting and standing in solidarity with the work of their classmates to reignite public outcry and anger over the prevalence of gun violence. They wanted to please ask that our conversations about gun violence expand to include police violence. They said, there are many more officers patrolling our school now, given the horrific events of February 14th. But we, as students of color, do not feel more safe. One young man, 17-year-old Kai Gerber, said it's bad enough we have to come in with clear backpacks. We need to come in with our hands up, too. These are instances of trauma, and calling it an instance is probably unfair, but it is trauma that does not heal. trauma that stays in the system, that stays and touches the families, the teachers, the loved ones, the children and the grandchildren, and everyone who is impacted. And I want you to know that when I speak out as an individual against state-sanctioned violence, which is violence done in our names, I'm not speaking out of some kind of pie-eyed idealism. I want to share with you that a man with whom I shared many years of my life and a deep love was a Philadelphia police detective. <clears throat> Called to the scene over the decades to many homicides and many difficult situations. And he was in a shootout in which actually people were shooting back at him and his partner, and his partner was paralyzed by a bullet to the spine. My partner would ask me when he came home to hide his gun. He also carried a knife and to hide his knife because he suffered from flashbacks. He and his partner did not kill anyone or even actually wound anyone in this shootout. And I watched my loved one's flashbacks and they were a terrible, terrible and terrifying thing to witness. And I, I would hide these weapons because he did not trust himself in a flashback. He did not know what So I have some understanding of the trauma that is inflicted and continues to be inflicted, not just on one, but in all of the unvolunteered participants in these acts of violence. So why do I bring this up on the day that's supposed to be reserved for chocolate bunnies and new shoes? Not necessarily in that order. 
bring us back to the story of Jesus of Nazareth for many reasons. But one of them is because he was a victim of state-sanctioned violence. He was executed by the powers of empire, powers that have not really much changed their strategies, to be honest with you, in the last 2,000 years. But more than that, the story stories that were written about him and about this experience and about his ministry and his death are stories that I believe not only have much to teach us today, again, regardless of where we stand politically and regardless of what our faith beliefs might be, these are stories that have something to say to all of us about the healing of trauma. about the hope and the work and the yes, redemption and resurrection that can happen if we tend to one another. My message to you this morning is not about violence. It is about new life turn our minds and our hearts to it. The segment that I read to you from the Gospel of Mark is the very first resurrection story. Mark was, and we don't even know if that was the name of the writer of this Gospel, but this was the first Gospel story written about Jesus, and it was written at least two generations after. Jesus was executed. And even though there had been pretty significant resistance to empire and to the collaborators of empire in the time of Jesus, at the time when this gospel is written, it was full out rebellion and civil war. It was a time of enormous chaos and fear. When brother would betray brother. There were factions fighting for political power. There were factions of collaborators. There were, it was class warfare. There were professional assassins, terrorists, carrying out assassinations in the cities. And there were bandits throughout the rural countryside praying. They were mostly dispossessed peasants praying on, on one another. It was a horrendously and meanwhile, Rome was looking at the other side of Palestine at the Parthian Empire and going, we better hold on to Palestine because otherwise our biggest enemies will be on, them, on our doorstep. So a couple of years after this story is written, forged in this crucible of really terrible and terrifying <coughs> chaos is when the Romans annihilated rebellion and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. So this small growing movement of Jesus followers of Christians, they met in houses for house worship all around the Mediterranean. Many of their house churches were run by women. In fact, I always like to 
speak out about it because that's sadly changed after several centuries of, of, of the establishment of the official church. It's actually why the women in this story are the only ones that have the courage not to abandon Jesus. If you have read the story or heard the story, you know that his male disciples denied him and betrayed him, but not the women. Not only do I want to remind you and, and, and have us celebrate on this Easter morning, have us celebrate the possibility of healing from trauma, I want to remind us as Unitarian Universalists that we come from, we come from those early heretics in the Christian movement that affirmed life over death. We come from those heretics that believed that paradise was to be found here and now. It was not some mythical place, you know, the, 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 the playboy mansion of, of the sky where we would all end up after death. It was something we would build together and it would be paradise because everyone would have enough to eat and everyone would live in peace. These are heretical views even now, right? We get in trouble for talking about them. Rebecca Parker and Rita Nakashima Brock are two uh, uh, theologians and historians of, 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 our, of our movement. And they've written a massive tome called Saving Paradise. And they learned after years of research that this idea of centering Easter around the crucifixion and the suffering, that's a fairly recent idea. It's only about a thousand years old. Before then, it was about making paradise. So if you wanted to become a Christian, if you wanted to join this movement that was in fact persecuted for a long time, it might take up to three years and you would make your commitment, you would make your vows on Easter. This was the day of, of, that you would say, that you would be welcomed into the community, and you would be welcomed with food, and you would be welcomed with celebration. But, if you were a soldier, a soldier of the Roman Empire, one of your vows, I'm talking almost 20 centuries ago, one of your vows had to be that you would no longer follow those orders. You would not kill in the name of empire. Just think about that for a minute. That's tough. Imagine if today, in order to join a Christian church, you had to say, no, I won't. I won't kill. And we have some churches like very many, do we? So it wasn't easy. It required real discernment and real thought to be part of one of these early communities. It required real commitment. You think three membership classes are bad? <laughs> <laughs> They're not. They're amazing, by the way. <laughs> Imagine three years. 
and a lot of fasting in between. I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying. But saving paradise was about healing the communal trauma. It was about healing from all of the things that people had to suffer, from all of the persecutions, from all of the war. Binding community together in the ways of peace and abundance and love was a way of retraining ourselves, a way of learning how to live differently together. That's the lesson that I think we can, among others, that's the lesson that I think we can hold on to today. I believe in this world, most of us will live according to the goodness in our hearts. And most of us want to be generous. And most of us want to be accepting and kind and open. But I believe it's also true that we teach hate. And we teach violence, maybe sometimes inadvertently or sometimes on purpose, but that those things are taught because otherwise, why would they happen so frequently? teach the opposite the truth. And our teachers, our mentors, our nurses, our caregivers of all kinds, those of us who love our children and our grandchildren, even if they are not biologically ours, we can teach a different way. There's a psychologist by the name of Robert Andy who has written about this, and he knows something about communal trauma. He's a third-generation Holocaust survivor. And he periodically visits Poland, uh, the land, the country of his grandparents, where a community of over 3 million is now only 5,000 today. And he, visited, he visits Auschwitz. remind himself of where he came from and he says we can train ourselves to be different and to think differently. When I ask you this morning to roll away the stone I'm asking you to roll away whatever stone and by the way just so you know these stones were diameter of anywhere from 6 to 10 feet and this thick and they'd be in a little groove so you know not an easy thing to roll it away but when I ask you to roll away the stone I'm asking you to roll away whatever it is that's keeping you locked into what you think you know that's keeping you locked into the belief that things have to be the way they have always been that's keeping you locked away and feeling isolated because there's just too much going on to deal with. Better yet, I'm asking you to look and maybe see that that stone has already been rolled away by some who have come before you and who want to welcome you into saving paradise in this moment and to live according to what we truly believe and know to be the ways of faith.
I want to close this morning with something really lovely that Hazel or Larry handed to me. As you know, we had a group of fairly boisterous Habitat for Humanity volunteers, students from the University of Delaware here this week staying. I think their air mattresses are still out in the hallway. At least I hope they're in their air mattresses and not something more sinister. And, you know, they did occasionally leave toothpaste on the mirrors, and they did move the cups in the kitchen, which was not great, although they were very apologetic. But they left this note, and I want to read some of it to you, because this to me says everything we need to know about who we can be in this moment. To Reverend Maria and the rest of the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship, you the best. <laughs> Thank you for making us feel so comfortable in this space. Thank you for letting us stay here. Thank you so much for allowing us to stay here and baking us delicious treats. Where are you, Hazel? Yay, Hazel! Thanks so much for giving us a place to stay. We appreciate the hospitality and opening your doors to us so that we can contribute in your community. They built two homes in Habitat Grace. Thank you so much for making this trip able to be able to happen. Thank you so much for being so accommodating to 21 strangers. Kindness in words creates confidence. Kindness in thinking creates profoundness. And kindness in giving creates love. Blessings to all of you, and thank you for welcoming these students. And thank you for sharing this Easter morning.